Well, hello, everyone. Hey, shout outs to all my gunters out there. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, we'll get to that later. Uh, welcome. This is Like Trees Walking. I feel like those words haven't come out of my mouth in a while. To the listener, this will be seamless. You will have listened. I am assuming you are you are binging on these episodes, and so to you... Uh, we are we are seamless, but to uh, me, Michael J. Nelson, and to you, David Berge, uh, of the podcast Like Trees Walking, which you are now listening to, yes. it has been quite some time since we have got together to talk about the big issues of life, which is what we do on this yes. podcast. in the words of the great Scott Stapp, it's been a while. You've brought up two things that have already made me cringe, and we are barely We're not a minute even a minute in. <laughs> to the pod. How dare you, It's going to be one of those. How dare you? Yeah, so we talk about the big issues of life on this podcast. We do it from a Christian perspective. We wrestle with the things that all human beings must wrestle with, or should. Yes. I guess some people could go through life without ever thinking of any of them. The unexamined life yes. is it, not worth living. Who said that? Uh, Carrot Top? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Look, so great. It's, it's early. Um, and we are going to do that today. We are going to take on a big issue. And then uh, we wrestle with that. We allow you to think along with, the, with us because uh, we, don't just, we don't just want Christians or people who think exactly like us to listen. We want everyone to listen. Every person, every human on planet Earth, yes, we, at least who speaks English right. or can understand English, we would like to listen to our podcast because these are important questions that we're talking about in, in um, theology, philosophy, faith, and culture, and, and we're offering our take. And we want to provoke thought um, to cause you to take your um, preconceived notions, what, what you think about, pull it out of your head, examine it from different angles, and, and you might still believe the same thing that you did going into it, but at least we hope. That, uh, that our conversation, our thinking around it, will improve and sharpen your own thinking. Yes, as metal sharpens metal. Or iron sharpens iron, as it I, says I, in Scripture. I know, but I prefer that, uh, I like to think that they were using, um, uh, what do you call them, uh, alloys at that point. They just didn't know it. So it was called iron, but they were probably alloys. That's another pod top. Yes. <laughs> Every listener just dropped off. Look. Um, now today, biblical metallurgy on <laughs> Like Trees Walking. I'm sure that's a podcast out there, and I would listen to that. Um, and probably should. I'm going to look it up right now. Uh, but since we do it in a lighthearted manner, I also want to let people know that, well, you know, we mess around a little bit. If you don't like that, we're sorry, but we're going to do that. And in the second half, uh, a, a new a new popular uh, department that we do here on the podcast is uh, Mike Nelson's True Tales of Terror. And uh, and there's a new one uh, because the Halloween season, at least for us at the time of taping, is coming right up. And uh, Dave, big fan of Halloween? Uh, this is a this is a more nuanced question than, than I feel like. I'll just give it two seconds. I am a big fan of Halloween for children. I think it's great. Uh, it's appropriation by adults um, is, is, uh, uh, I will say though, when it, <laughs> I once, one of my, one of my all time favorite tweet jokes I made, Mike, I'm going to share with you is that, you know, this we, is live tweeting. <laughs> this is almost, all right. Yeah, we could pay, it. we could pay for universal healthcare for every single man, woman, and child in this country with a $500 charge on all surtax 
on all adult Halloween costumes. <laughs> That's how I feel about Halloween for grown-ups, basically. You know, Dave, I finally feel like you're becoming a bit like me. Where you? You're rubbing off on me, Mike. <laughs> That's what I feel. I uh, I'm not a huge fan of it for the children either, but. Um, you know what? Uh, it used to be fun when I was a kid, and, and then they started putting the razor blades in the apples. And- <laughs> that never happened, actually. That actually never happened, Mike. I know that was a that was a scare tactic that I think maybe one crabby adult came up with, and <laughs> boy, did everyone bought that one. People were we, I was warned about that. People as a were kid. X-raying. I was told people would like X-ray their Halloween candy. How insane <laughs> is that? Now, it is true that if you send back something to a kitchen, the chef will spit on it. That has been proven. So, But there are no razor blades in your apples that are passed out. It's uh, also season three, by the way. Oh, yeah. We are in season three. That's exciting. Yeah. Oh, by the way, the follow-up to that, don't give out apples on Halloween. That's, that's lame. Or popcorn balls. How about little bags of carrots? Come on. <laughs> what are you doing? That's just... What about the black and orange taffy? Um, I, I'm not a fan. There's there's a sub basement below that though, isn't there? The like the Mary Janes, the peanut butter <laughs> chews, or I don't whatever know what those are, and hard candies. Uh, we used to have a woman on our block who would give out those yellow Brock's hard candies. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. And she'd give you like three of them, which I think she thought was extravagant. But uh, when you unwrapped them, they were actually pretty good projectiles. So that worked out well. When they were wrapped, they, they still would sting, but they, you might hit that little wrapping end and it would absorb the blow. Mm. So anyway, <laughs> Dave, what is, what is our big topic for the day? You've got something you want to talk about. This is actually a big topic, and- yeah. We, a lot of wind up to, I think, what is going to be a, a really interesting, um, you know, this is of the moment, but it's also uh, a, re- unfortunately and sadly, this is a, a reoccurring um, conversation that we have in our country, and I think we will see it occur again and again and again. Um, and this is the the notion um, of thoughts and prayers. What do we make of thoughts and prayers? So, whenever there is a, um, a a tragedy, you know, people tweet out. One of their first responses is to, especially down in the social media age, is to share on Twitter or on Facebook. Hey. You know, my thoughts and prayers are with the victims of this, you know, terrible tragedy. And where we where we see it, um, I guess, striking a nerve, the rawest of nerves, is in the case of mass shootings in this country. So, um, and it's even now there's a, a a term that's come up around the reaction to it. Prayer shaming is what it's called. And so we saw this, um, you know, we can kind of trace the lineage of this through, you know, Sandy Hook and, uh, I mean— all those children murdered, thoughts and prayers. The San Bernardino shooting, uh, all those people killed in, in, in California in what was a, a terrorist you know, mass shooting, thoughts and prayers. And then uh, most recently, and I'd say that's where I really started to notice personally the visceral reaction to that phrasing. And then we saw it with just a few weeks ago in Las Vegas. There was the deadliest mass shooting in modern American history. Again, people, when that happens, my thoughts and prayers are with the victims of this terrible tragedy and the reaction that is forming against that to say, um, I mean, I'm just thinking of a couple. One from San Bernardino, there was, it was one of the New York uh, tabloid papers, you know, put sort of a sampling of tweets from various mm-hmm. uh, politicians 
um, uh, uh, right wing or conservative politicians saying God isn't going to fix this. I believe was the was the headline on the. It might have been New York Daily News. I think um, that was the headline on their paper, and and, and uh, uh, you know various tweets like I, I you know saw someone uh, who I follow on Twitter liked or retweeted this tweet. You know like. Unless you're a, you know, expletive X-Men, your thoughts and prayers aren't going to stop a bullet. And so there's been a visceral reaction to the offering of thoughts and prayers towards uh, victims of tragedy. And basically saying that prayer is uh, useless in these situations. Is that what they're saying? I want to parse that out a little bit. Um as I offer my commentary. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it, yeah, it's... I mean, this has been standard for a number of years. I think you're right that the... I guess a backlash to it has, has come fairly recently. Mm-hmm. I think if, there's always been a little bit of that. But I think it's built to a critical mass now. And so, yeah, what what does it mean? And what uh, and how should one react? And is there a better reaction? Uh, I'm sure you've thought of this. I have. So I think the... The charitable interpretation of what are people reacting to, you know, instead of saying like, oh, these people are just, you know, who are reacting against thoughts and prayers. They're just haters or they are, you know, irreligious or anti-religious or something like that, that there's a sense that thoughts and prayers itself has become a platitude and a mask for actually taking any concrete action. And so I'd say the strongest reaction is against politicians offering thoughts and prayers as a form of condolence, saying that, you know, I I think that if you asked your average prayer shamer um, what they were reacting to, it's not, oh, you know, John Q. Public or Jane Q. Public hears about this horrible tragedy, you know, it stirs their emotions, and so they offer thoughts and prayers as an expression of sympathy. I don't think they're reacting against that. I think they're reacting against this sense of there is these um, problems have a policy you know, a public policy solution, and the people who are in a position to shape our public policy, who hold political power, they need to do more than just offer their condolences. They have the power in their hands to change this, you know, through concrete action. And so why are they just offering prayers when they could, you know, do something concrete to solve the problem? That's what I think that, that's what I think they're saying on the most charitable interpretation. Yeah, I, I I suspect that is true because I assume these same people wouldn't think, you know, when you go to a funeral, we all know, or you go to a wake or what have you, and let's say you are not a member of the family, what you, you know, and we've all been to a few of them, mm-hmm. you don't have to come up with a fresh hot take to, you know, we all express our... I'm so sorry for I'm your so loss. I'm so sorry for your loss. Oh, my condolences. He was such, he or she, such a... A great person that really touched my life. Everybody's saying the same things. Nobody in that would then stand up and go, "What do you? You? I just said that. You can't say that." Um, you know, it doesn't make it less sincere on on one level, unless you think that the people are being cynical about it and putting it up as a mask for for inaction or what have you. Yes, yeah. So, I, what you're, and the point that you make there is a really, really good one, a really important one. That in the face of terrible tragedy, the importance of being able to glom on to um, or, or claim kind of ritualistic expressions of concern and of grief um, are important, and we should not discount those. Those are, those are actually really, really important because we don't have fresh words to speak into a tragedy. And as Christians, you know, that we should never set prayer and action 
in in opposition to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, literally, you know, when I hear about a um, uh, uh, a tragedy like uh, you know a horrific mass shooting or even a natural disaster that's not at my front door, um, there's nothing I practically can do in the sense of you know going and offering physical help and support. But I can pray. That yeah. is something. Prayer is doing something. And um, as Christians, we believe in, in in the importance of prayer and in the power of prayer. Um, especially knowing the the role that prayer pay, the role that prayer plays in bringing peace um, and solace to our own hearts in the face of tragedy. How can we not? hope that and and will that and put that out that God would show up in that place for those people. It, it's not this, you know, very um, naive understanding, well, okay, we're going to pray and we are going to move God's hands to stop everything in this world. But uh, when our hearts are troubled, they are moved to reach out to God in mm-hmm. in asking God to show up for these people and asking God, why did this, you know, why did this happen? You know, what can you do about this? Um, that, that the response of prayer is not, you know, a hallmark card, but, but again, I turn back to, to scripture, the Psalms, they're filled. This is the prayer book of the Bible. They are filled with the outpouring of all forms of emotions towards God. And that is a, a very, very powerful move. And to try to shame people or cut that off from people is cutting them off from something that is actually going to give them strength in the midst of tragedy. Right. And there's also an assumption in it that I think needs to be examined. And that is, um, you know, the old, uh, uh, Mark Twain line, everybody talks about the weather, but nobody does anything about it. Yeah. That's, you know, we're all helpless in the face of everything horrible that happens across the globe for the most part, 99 point repeating 9% of it, we are helpless to do anything. And so the assumption that, um, you know, well, you can immediately do something about X, Y, or Z is just, I mean, and you should be doing that and only that right now. It's like, well, you didn't say that about <laughs> the 800 billion other horrible things that happen, and what are you doing about that? So I just think you should be careful with also shaming that aspect of it. Like, how do you know that I didn't? And just all those assumptions that go into that about saying you should be doing something. And, you know, the specific public policy prescriptions that are often offered, there's not always a clear connection between those and what happened in a particular tragedy. You know, we, we want, I mean, it's very, very understandable. We all want to be able to p- pass legislation that's going to prevent these types of things from occurring. But then you look at time and time again, and what's proposed, you go, well, would that have stopped this? And the answer is, well, no. Right. You know, and so it's, we just can't, like, there's no easy, you know, point A uh, uh, to point B solution, you know, where you go, do this, and uh, and we'll be able to stop this. That our our we're confronted, I think, in these tragedies with our own helplessness yeah. in the face of them, you know, so often. And, and, you know, just as you could say, well, thoughts and prayers aren't, aren't fixing anything, um, which is not true. Well, angry tweets on social media aren't fixing anything either. They're not solving the problem. That's just as much a, you could say, just as much a form of cliched performance as offering statements of thoughts and prayers. Now, thoughts and prayers are cliche and 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 empty. Well, now is sort of your rage, your prayer shaming yeah. is the sort of mirror response. And you know, I would argue that further sort of like the making our our culture more toxic and angry and acerbic 
only I think contributes to a a climate in which you know this hatred can uh, fester and manifest itself in more and more acts of violence against um, against our fellow human beings and fellow citizens. And so, actually, pr- thoughts and prayer shaming is I think only contributing to a, a really toxic culture that surrounds us. That's not going to have good um, end results um, yeah. for 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 uh, the body politic. And so. You know, g- give uh, give people some grace. You know, uh, in the response of a tragedy, there, there's not always a, there's not an easy answer. And thoughts and prayers are they are a valid response to um, a situation over which almost all of us have absolutely no control. But and again, I think that when it comes to thoughts and prayers, these are expressions of faith in a God who is bigger than this situation. And if you want legislative legislative change if you want cultural change and transformation you're going to need people who believe in something bigger than themselves to have the stick to itiveness to do anything about it you know mm-hmm. the civil rights movement it you know was filled with lots of prayers and they were in the face of you know i mean almost inconceivably great odds against achieving the things they achieved why would you keep fighting that fight year after year after year william wilberforce trying to outlaw slavery i mean the odds against his practice were so huge he was a fool an idiot to believe that he could make a change because uh the the cultural and political uh, power was against him so you need these naive you know bumpkin dupes who believe in a god <laughs> to actually have the fortuitive you know the uh, the fortitude and the stick-to-itiveness to carry through these changes that we want to see and so you have to believe to believe that you know you can move a mountain I-, I think you do need faith in order to do that so so thoughts and prayers are actually indicative of the kind of spirit you want to foster if you want to see change I love it I agree and uh, uh, I would only say also to believers out there one thing that I've noticed is I will often be in conversation, not Twitter conversations, real conversations, although they may occur across email or what have you, yes. but with human beings who I actually know, and I know that they are not favorable toward uh, the Christian God or any God or what have you, but I will say to them when they are in times of strife that, uh, hey, I'm, I, don't, I know you, it might not mean anything to you, but I'm praying for you or for this person or for your mother, for your father, for whatever. And I've never gotten anyone to say, you know, don't do that. I don't like that. <laughs> they're, always, they're always saying, thank you. That's, uh, that means a lot. And uh, so it does mean a lot. It, it does something. There's something there. And then I always actually do pray. That's the that's, other uh, that's, And that's, <laughs> yes, that is so important. And I think that where the real danger is with thoughts and prayers is that it, because, you know, Jesus talks in the Sermon on the Mount, like, if you pray, don't go out in the public, that there can be a little bit of the thoughts and prayers as a performative piety sure, to be sure. seen by everyone else. And Jesus says, you know, when you pray, close the door, you know, and your father who hears in secret will hear your prayers, that that there, we need to be very, very, very careful that this doesn't come off as disingenuous and yeah, sort of right, right, right. a cliched statement where people don't actually think we're you know dropping to our knees and 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 pouring our hearts out on their behalf to God. We we have to follow through, yeah. and that's the absolute key, Mike. Yeah, yeah. That's why I always, for my own habit, I do it immediately after I tell the person. Otherwise, <laughs> you because tweet- I, I don't yeah. have my paper there. I don't have a note to to you know make sure in the next morning prayer session or whatever they do. So I just stop and do it. So, stop yeah, and pray. Yeah, yeah. So that is good advice and. uh Look, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, have a, a haunting true tale 
of terror from uh, from Mike Nelson. But first, let's hear from the pastor. How about that? Hey everyone, it is Dave Berge here, um, and we just want to thank you. We are in our third season of Like Trees Walking, and we are loving it, loving every minute of it, and uh, we want to ask you to do a few things for us. If you could click that subscribe button, uh, that will help us. Uh, It will raise us in the algorithm, and we know the power of algorithms to shape our world. And so if you could do that, that would be really, really great. Click, Click subscribe, and that way you'll always get the freshest content you can of course please rate us and review us um wherever you subscribe to this podcast and they offer you that option that would be super helpful you can also uh follow us online um uh, at michael j nelson or at david underscore bergie and uh you can also check us out at like trees walking pod like trees walking pod.com that's where all the old episodes are our, our bios you can sign up for our email newsletter which we send out very occasionally but um, there we'll also let you know, hey, it, like some things that we have going on or, or if we've been um, taking a break, we will tell you, don't worry, we'll be back soon. So those are all the different ways to, to interact with this podcast and for you to support us in the work that we do. We appreciate it so, so much. Now, let's get to a scary story from Mike. Okay, we're back. Thank you, Pastor. Pastor, how are you enjoying um, your India Peaberry coffee that I roasted up a couple days ago? It, it needs to rest for a little while, so that does not mean it's not fresh. In fact, it's probably right at the perfect place. optimal, optimal coffee. Uh, it is a hero. Yeah. Do you have any tasting mm-hmm. notes before we uh, before we continue? I don't. It's just very. It's a very smooth. Um, mm-hmm. It's a fairly light taste, I would say, but in a in a in a delightful way. It's a light yeah. roast, yes, but it's uh, got some body to it. It's it a does. coffee with some body. It is so it 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 it's it's everything you'd want in a cup of coffee, and it doesn't you know. I mean, I do like bitter coffee from time to time, but this is not bitter. This is I'm glad to hear. This it. is just robust. You like to feed your bitter soul with your <laughs> bitter coffee. All right, it's time for Mike Nelson's true tales of terror, and I. <sighs> I promised. I think I told. Oh yes. Oh, set the mood. What is this from? This is from <laughs> the mind of uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. This is the Toccata and Fugue in D minor. I don't know why it got the scary appellation. I guess organs just organs are scary. They are. Do you know what the name of the organ is? the The nickname of the instrument? No. The King of Instruments. What so a, that's a, a, a trivia question you'll often hear, so now you know it, so don't ever... The king of this? The king of instruments. Uh, all right, so it's time for Mike Nelson's True Tales of Terror. Last time I told the shocking true story of um, uh, reading a, a Stephen King book or a Peter Straw book or something and being haunted by an actual physical manifestation in my bedroom. Go back and listen to that if you need to hear that. This one... Uh, also comes from my youth. Uh, this is absolutely true. I, I almost, I was going to ask the friend who witnessed this with me to briefly appear on the show, but if he needs to, if we have any doubters out there, <laughs> we, ter- we terror bring, skeptics, we can bring him. We can bring him back. Um, 
I was uh, I would, I'm 19 years old in college, and I was going to see the movie with a bunch of friends, the movie Amadeus. That's That should date it for you. That's, yeah, is uh, that the one with... Uh... Tom Hulse, um, F. Murray Abraham. Great, a great movie. Did oh, it win an Oscar? Oscar? It did, it did. Yeah, it's a very good movie. My... Milos Forman was the director, great director. He directed One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Salieri. Nest. Salieri. Yes. There's always he's always a great sermon illustration. Salieri. Is he? Oh yeah. Oh, just like striving and Yeah, Amadeus is is a, a pastors love Amadeus, especially of a of a certain vintage. They love Amadeus. <laughs> oh, is that right? Well yeah, I just keeping it real. Uh <laughs> you know, that 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 they'll often reference this because it's such a great you know, so, uh, I'm a, you know, he's Mozart is so gift, you know, he just it has the gift. Yeah. And uh Salieri doesn't and and the bitterness that that curses god yeah just he turns his back on god because because god turned his back on him and it's a it's a beautiful story of or a beautiful illustration of how one can you know one can be angry at god you can only go to it once i mean you can no time and again really oh yeah please it's easy it's like uh 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 what's the other jean valjean uh le miserable oh you can keep pulling oh you can man flog that horse even after it's dead is there like a is a secret forum a pastor forum or is that just like an open forum like <laughs> it's an open secret yeah okay uh so anyway so uh we load in to go to one of those cheap theaters you know because we're poor college students we load into a car and we go off to the two dollar movie or whatever it was at the time and uh middle of the day so we none of us had there was no classes scheduled or what have you i don't think we were cutting class to see amadeus um to go into the theater, and this is a long movie, if you don't know it. it's I think it might be over two hours. Was it two tapes when you rented it from the video store? <laughs> I, I, never, <laughs> I never rented it. I don't think I've seen it. Uh, maybe I've seen bits and pieces of it since then. But it, it's a good movie. Um, loving the movie. Halfway through the movie, in an empty theater, it's a, just a small projection theater, uh, a woman comes in, and we're all sitting in a row, five of us, let's say, and I'm at the end, and she sits directly next to me in the middle of Amadeus with no one else in the theater. So there's like a seat to your right or left? There's a seat to my right. Okay. She's on my right. Okay. We're on the, yes. And uh, not a single other person there in the middle of Amadeus. And this this sort of... So she walked in in the middle of the movie. She walked in the middle of the movie, sits right next to me. There's a hundred other seats uh, but so I, I <laughs> that's, that's and, and I sensed, so weird. I sensed a something. Obviously, it's a weird thing to do, but I also sensed just a you know I don't want to get metaphysical because it was, but it was just like spooky. It was a weird mood. It's like if woman. you're in a bathroom and there's a like a, yes. a row of ten urinals and yeah. you're, and it's empty and you're peeing at the one and then the other person comes stands like that. You know something is wrong yeah, when someone comes. Especially if and they stands have a right wide next. stance. You know, but, but anyway, <laughs> so so I look down. I do the little subtle look to my left to my friends, and I catch the attention of the guy next to me, still a friend of mine. And I I give him the waggle the eyes and do the you know look over there. And he looks over and he looks and he looks at me and his eyes widen and he shrugs and we look at the movie and don't think another thing about it. Uh, except for this weird presence on where you sort of, you know, withdraw your arm a little bit and mm-hmm. sort of, and, uh, so, uh, about an hour before the movie ends, so this is like a chunk in the middle, she gets up, 
and leaves. So she watches, say, half an hour. I'm going to just throw that out. It doesn't matter. Half an hour, she, she watches, then she leaves. And then at that moment when she left, I also did the little turn to my left and raised the eyebrows at the guy. And he's like, huh? He shrugs too. It's like, all right. So the movie's over. The lights come on. We stand up and we hear a metal clunking. And uh, we see that in my seat bottom, <laughs> which is flapped up, has been stabbed a sharpened shiv, a screwdriver <laughs> that had been filed down to a razor sharp pinpoint, <laughs> was stabbed into my seat. And, uh, and we just stood there. I mean, my first reaction was just to laugh and kind of, you know, do this sort of hair standing on it. Oh, my goodness. Like, what the? What? So it's a mystery. I don't know. She came in to. She came to shank she someone? She came to shank someone. And I don't know, something about the, the lighthearted spirit of Michael <laughs> J. Nelson. She just couldn't do it. Or she just sort of half-heartedly thought she would do it and just i don't know and i mean it couldn't have been like a sharp stab because you would have felt it yeah so it was like she was working it in there yes could you feel anything under you no i mean i was sort of leaning away and all of that so so anyway my my friend and i the rest of the people were barely noticing this because they were you know another seat down yeah so but he for years had saved the the shiv it's it's just (laughs) And I asked him recently, do you still have the shiv? Because we could post it on it. <laughs> he said he finally won one too many moves to save the sharpened like. shiv. <laughs> so he couldn't find it. But. The museum of your life, Mike, could yes. be, the, could be yeah. the Did you ever get a look at this woman, what her appearance I, I was? I have no remembrance of her appearance. She, I mean, other than a sort of a vague, she seemed like she was, you know, late 30s or something. I, I, otherwise, I have no... She was neither big nor small nor blonde nor brunette. It, I, I just, just a woman. It was just a woman sat down. You know, it's it's like when you're on a plane, you know, you say hi when you first get yeah. there, and then you get off the plane an hour later. Like, who'd you sit Descri- next to yeah, for three describe and a half the person hours? You just I don't next know. To. I have no idea. Uh, that's what it was like. So uh, Totally. But anyway, that, that's That is a tale of terror. True tale that is a terror. horrible ter- tale of terror. You were almost shivved or shanked. Yeah, no, what, no explanation. I mean, it, it's not normal behavior. I, not I at all. Ex- okay, all right. No, that is utterly bizarre. And I mean, it'd just be weird enough to like this woman came in, sat next to me for a half an hour, and left. You know, you go, that is like that is utterly bizarre. Yeah. But when there's a, when there is a <laughs> shiv in the bottom of your movie chair seat, that is a true tale true of terror. Tale of terror. Yep. So anyway, I thought for the Halloween season that might be a nice. Uh... I believe. I and Mike. I believe. Yeah, good. All right. Any doubters, and uh, you can contact my friend. I'll, I'm, I'm just going to give you his email address if you contact me and let, him, let you inundate him. No. You can start a correspondence, <laughs> take up a correspondence with him. Yes. Uh, Dave, any final thoughts? Nope. Uh, just to say, for a teaser for our next episode, um, well, I, 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 uh, I Easter egged it at the beginning of the episode, and so we have to talk about it next episode. We didn't get to it. Which is? Hell of a rig, man. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's true. You did Easter egg. I Easter egged it in classic in classic fashion. I All Easter right. egged it. We can have a segment on it if oh, you we want. Need, we need to. All right. Well, we'll see you next time with that <laughs> mysterious, mysterious cliffhanger. We'll see you next time on Like Trees Walking. Like Trees Walking.